So welcome here. I'm glad that you're here today. My name is Matt, and uh, we're going to start, before we hear God's word, uh, with a word of prayer, which is going to make the rest of this all go a lot better. So, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done today, all that you want to do, all that you have and will and are doing in our lives. I pray that your word would come through clearly, that nothing would be missed, and that nothing would be a distraction. Holy Spirit, come and have your way in my voice and my thoughts, um, in our ears and our hearts. Have your way. I pray you would glorify yourself through this time. Amen. Okay. So today I want to bring us through 1 Corinthians 13. If you want to look in your Bible, it says 1 Corinthians, thir- uh, sorry, 10, 23 to 33. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, 23 to 33. And the theme is going to be God's heart for the stumbling. God's heart for the stumbling. So I apologize, it's 10 verses. But we're going we're gonna to get on after it here. So 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 33 says, This is Paul to the church in Corinth. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the Lord is the earth and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of the conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And what I want to say today revolves all around verse 31, with the verses coming before it as the context. Verse 31 again says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And that's a, that's a big statement. That statement covers pretty much everything. It covers all. And to narrow that down, I want to use the context in which it comes from. See, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is these are born-again Christians in the Corinth church that still live in a culture where most of the meat they buy at the market has been used in an adulterous sacrifice ceremony. 
So in other words, this meat, this sirloin or this T-bone, I'm sure they had T-bones back then, that they bought at the market would have been like a communion cracker or a cup of juice. It would have been an object in a worship service to an idol. And what the early church is saying is, well, does this mean we can't eat meat anymore at all? And what Paul is trying to tell them is, as he says a little bit earlier in this, in chapter 8, is because of your freedom in Christ, you are now at liberty to eat this stuff because who you believe in is greater than anything that's associated with this meat. And this meat no longer holds the religious significance because it's now part of the market. It's no longer the object of worship or the association of worship. It would be like saying... You went to the store and you bought some of those rice crackers and now it was wrong for you to eat them because I don't believe in the Christian faith so I'm not participating in their communion. See, the crackers that we eat during communion are significant because of the worship service that they're involved in and the act of worshiping through those things. So the meat that, this ha- that they had now at the market that was available for them, Paul was trying to tell them, in Christ you are free to eat these things. Your conscience is clear. But there's a catch. The catch is, don't ever let your freedom enslave somebody else. Because not all believers would have been at the same mindset saying, in Christ... I have the liberty to eat this. They would have come from deep backgrounds of idol worship. They would have come from seeing the very worst of what that meat was all about. And they wouldn't have been able to distance themselves from it. So Paul is saying, take care of the consciences of the people around you. Care for the people around you. By making sure that there's nothing in your life that would cause somebody else to stumble. To stumble in their faith. To stumble into sin. And what I, the, the big question I want to answer today is when we do this, when we look after our brothers and sisters, when we look after the weakness of some people's faith, and ensure that our walk is not a stumbling block to somebody else, why in this manner is God glorified? So I really want to look back at the heart of God for the stumbling people that we are and we are among. Why is God glorified when we work to keep others from stumbling? So that's what we're going to do. 
one overview illustration for that would be simply this. Over the last, I don't know, 30 years, the allergies in people have shoved their way to the front, we can say. Whether it's peanut allergies, gluten, other tree nuts, milk, different stuff like that. There are allergies in many people. And those allergies can be quite severe. So then, when we seek to bless people in our home, what's a good attitude to have if we're inviting somebody over who has an allergy? If I'm inviting somebody who has a gluten allergy over, I won't make a bread cake with a bread dessert, with bread on the side, and a grilled cheese sandwich, correct? I'm just not going to do that. Because that would be the opposite of blessing my guests. And two things happen when you seek to bless the people that come to your house with an allergy. By not serving them the thing that bothers them. One, you're going to prevent having to rip out your carpets and put new ones in. Right? Two, they're going to, be, they're going to feel like they're honored in your home. Because you've put aside the things that you're entitled to. You're entitled to eat whatever you want in your home. But for them, you have put them aside. To bless them, to honor them, and in some ways, to glorify them coming. And the heart behind that is simply, we glorify the thing that we choose above all else. And this is the heart of why God is glorified when we seek to do nothing that would stumble another person's faith. As we are choosing God and His desire for all people to come to Him, and the idea that we will do nothing to get in the way of that, over our own freedoms, our own preferences, and in that God is glorified. But let's look a little bit closer at some reasons why God is glorified when we live to not let another person stumble in our lives. Firstly, God is glorified when we choose peace in the body of Christ. When we choose to be peacemakers in the church. It doesn't take much to cause division in your congregation. We know that from experience. We've all seen division in our congregations. And unfortunately, it's not always a very big deal. At first, it becomes a big deal. Paul says in Romans 14, 17 to 20, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual building up. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble in what he eats. So to sum that up, 
It's not the thing that causes people to stumble, but it's why it causes them to stumble. It's the why. Think of church splits. Think of the reasons why churches break up. Often it's the wrong hymn, the wrong instrument, those loud drums, the leadership. And some of these can become a big deal. But often what's breaking up our churches are things that could have been laid down for the sake of peace. They didn't need to be that stumbling block that grew and grew and grew until it divided the room and pushed people out in separate directions. It didn't have to be that way. When we put our freedoms aside for the unity of the body of Christ, we value Christ's heart for unity and peace in his body and congregation. And laying aside those little things that we just want so badly for his peace and his unity puts him first and in that he's glorified when we seek to keep the peace with our church. You see, the freedoms that we have in Christ were never meant to enslave the people around us. Freedom should never cause slavery. Should never cause slavery. And we can do that if we're not careful. 1 Corinthians 10.23, this is at the start of our passage again. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. You see, Paul takes the term that the whole Corinthian church was banking their freedoms on, All things are lawful to us. And he spells it out for them that that's not the the whole story. What you do with those freedoms in Christ makes up the rest of the story. So he says not all things are helpful, not all things build up. So there's more to look at than simply in Christ we have this freedom. And we need to look at the faith of those around us. First Corinthians 8 talks about possessing the knowledge. And I talked about this at the beginning that the meat of an idol in the market is, is good. It's fine. Paul says you should be thankful for those things. Thankful for that meat. But, not everyone has that knowledge. Think of people's backgrounds. Think of the things that they've come from. The very thing that we see as good and harmless may have been the thing that tripped them up for years and years and years. And it's not always the worst of our society that is a stumbling block. Secondly, God is glorified when we choose spreading the gospel to unbelievers over our freedoms. Truth be told, 
the church has many reasons to be divided and separated from the culture around us. Many valid reasons. Many things that the church needs to stand up for and say, this is not okay. We, we, we can't be a part of this. That's good. We need to do that. The church must stand up against those things. But what are the things that are keeping us from having our witness with the world? Should those things that we don't agree with still cause us to not have a voice in the world? Because it's different to minister through and stand for. There's, there's a difference. For us to say your belief on abortion or your belief on gender issues... We don't stand for, we don't believe it's biblical. But those things aren't going to stand in the way of me telling you the truth. Now here's the trip up. It's how we say that. That's a problem. Unfortunately, the church for a long time has done a good job of condemning the things they don't agree with. And instead of not only removing a a stumbling block from the world around us, we're actually adding them. We are adding stumbling blocks when we cast judgment and condemnation, making the world feel subhuman. Not everybody does this. Not every church does this, of course. Here's Paul's heart. This is Paul's heart for the world. For though I am free, 1 Corinthians 9, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. A lot going on here. To those outside the law, I become as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do not for the sake of the gospel. I do, I do all for the sake of the gospel, sorry, that I might share its blessings. And the heart of Paul in this is so inspirational. He is saying, let nothing prevent you from having a witness in the world. Let nothing be what you need to be. Let nothing prevent your witness from the world. Don't forget the freedom that you have in Christ, but let that freedom propel you into all areas. Not becoming the thing you're speaking against. But letting nothing keep you from the people you're trying to win. I think it's important, and we've talked a little bit about it, to understand that everything in life has the opportunity to be a stumbling block. 
primarily all I've said so far today is talking about idolatrous meat in the market. And that's not just because I like to say T-bone and sirloin in the sermon, even though I do. T-bone, sirloin. It's, it's fun, but that's, that's the context of what Paul is saying. But anything in life can cause another person to stumble. Because the root of stumbling blocks is what it does to the conscience and the faith of the person who stumbles on it. So it doesn't matter what they're falling over. The trouble is that they're falling. So insert what you will instead of meat at the market. Sirloin, T-bone, right? I'm going to keep doing it now. You haven't stopped me yet. Insert what you will. What can become a stumbling block in your life and to the people around you? I'm, I'm sorry to say, but anything can be that. Your phone can cause another person to stumble. What you watch on TV can cause another person to stumble. Everything can cause somebody to stumble. It's like this. It's like this. Let's say we as an outreach wanted to invite new believers in the community to this great interactive, I'm going to stick with what I know this time, Mario Kart extravaganza with TVs everywhere. And we're going to break the record. We're going to play Mario Kart for 12 hours straight. That's, that's going to be our outreach. That, that could work. There's a danger there that we could invite somebody that could really hurt their face. Now, it's not wrong to unknowingly invite a new Christian who lost jobs over video games to a 12-hour Mario Kart extravaganza. That is not wrong. To know that they lost jobs over video games and have only recently been saved and to invite them not considering their faith or the weakness to a 12-hour all-extravaganza Mario Kart imposium would be wrong. Because now we're dragging them back into the very thing that is fine for us, isn't a problem, into something that could really hurt their faith. Because the very thing that seems harmless to us may look very, very different to them. And again, if meat's not doing it or Mario Kart's not doing it, please insert whatever you want for stumbling blocks. The concept is, it doesn't matter what it is, it matters what it does to a person's faith. Thirdly, God is glorified when we choose to serve the weak among us. Sometimes as a church, it's easy to cater to the strong, to the mature, to the gifted. And instead of reaching the weak where they are, 
calling them up from a place of strength and saying, we need to empower you to be more like this. We need to get you some more skills. We need to do some more conferences. And in that, it's possible to miss the deep heart of God for the weak. Can we all agree that through God's word, he has a real soft spot for the weak among us, for the orphans, for the widows. He makes special instructions on how to care for them. And to, to not meet the weak where they are, to simply say, well, they'll follow our lead. They're going to come along. We're going to show them the way is missing a very precious heart of God in there. And that's for the weak. A couple of things Jesus said in Matthew, one in Matthew 18, whoever causes one of these little ones, it's not just talking about kids, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's Jesus Telling his heart. Or in Matthew 25. Truly I say to you. As you did to one of the least. Of these my brothers. You did it to me. So Jesus is saying. Did you, did you give me clothes. When I was cold. Did you feed me when I was hungry. Did you give me a place to sleep. When I was tired. Did you hold me up. When I was stumbling. Did you take that time when I was really struggling? When we do it to the least of these, we're doing it unto him. He's guiding us into how to care and to bless him at the same time. And just a real small, this is important though. See, the Bible even says that if we cause somebody to stumble, we're falling into sin. That's a hard word. We're at fault for somebody else not being able to stand on their own. I'm accountable. Now, I'm not right before God. That's a, that's a hard word. And, and Paul spells it out real, real clear in 1 Corinthians 8. Real clear. For if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak? To eat food offered at idols. And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. So again, the very freedom that we use in our life, a weak Christian, a struggling Christian may see and cause serious damage to their faith. Because they're not there. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, or, if that's true, if food makes my brother stumble... I will never eat meat again, 
That's a big... All the times I've said T-bones and sirloins, that's a big statement. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. Can we fill in the blank for Paul? It's not necessarily meat, but if I never do this again, so that my brother will not stumble. Of course, just to be a disclaimer there, it's we're not responsible for every person's bad choice. We are not condemned for everyone's sin. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is be mindful that your behavior isn't causing somebody to sin. Whenever possible. And it's so serious that you're better off to never do that thing again than to cause somebody to sin. There is an accountability here that Paul is calling the church into. Not that we're responsible for every good choice, but that we are mindful of our behaviors, our walks, our actions, and our freedoms, and what that's going to do to the faith of the people around us. Tough. Does this seem, does this seem really hard? Like, I, if you think of your own life, well... It's hard enough just trying to keep myself walking straight. And, and now I have to worry about somebody else. And the truth of the matter is, that was never God's intention for us to do it on our own. Not for ourselves, not for our brothers and sisters. There is no part of God saying, you must keep yourself upright. And you must make sure the people around you are upright. There's no part of God saying that. In fact, he sent the very best of himself in his son. And it's all throughout the scriptures showing us exactly what this looks like. As Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And what better title for yourself then as a shepherd, I know nothing about sheep or shepherds, but I know that if a shepherd is keeping a sheep upright and uneaten, he's doing pretty good. I know that much. And Christ came to do the very same thing for us. He meant to keep the people around him upright, first in his ministry, then in his word, and now in and through all of his believers. That very thing that he calls us to do, he is empowering us to do through himself. He says this in Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there it is, this very impossible task of not only worrying about our own faith, but being mindful and considerate and compassionate and sensitive and aware 
of the faith of the people around us is Christ in us that fuels it all. So with that in mind, our applications to walk this out only make sense in the view of Christ in us making these things happen. So here are some ways that we can seek to not be a stumbling block to fellow believers and to the world around us so God gets the glory in all of our relationships. Firstly, it is this. Christ in us is to live in humility with the world around us. Humility. Now, humility is without judgment. It's knowing that before God... We're all the same. We're all the same before God. If I'm not struggling and I'm helping you, I'll get my turn soon. We're all the same. Knowing that we have all stumbled and have needed help and that God works in our stumblings. Listen to the charge of Jesus to Peter As he prophesies for the biggest mistake Peter will ever, ever make. He says, Peter, you you are going to deny me. But when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. So you are going to stumble. Own that. I will raise you up, but keep that in mind as you strengthen the people around you. Walk in humility. Through Jesus, live in humility. Romans 14, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So each of us will give an account of himself to God. So in Jesus, we want to live in humility. In Jesus, we want to live in self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. The truth is, to keep others from stumbling will require us to sometimes do without the very things we feel we are at liberty to enjoy. Such as the illustration of video games. Well, my conscience tells me video games is okay. But to minister to that person who has trouble with video games will cause me to put them away. So although I am free to enjoy an extravaganza of Mario Kart, if I so wish, which, I don't know, but to live well, to live with Christ in us is to cause us to be self-sacrificing and to put those things away. This is what Paul has been saying. If there is something in your life that will cause another person to stumble in their faith, it doesn't matter what it is. Put it away. Just put it away. You can pick it up later. So there is a level of sacrifice in that. Did Jesus not put... Now, this wasn't a stumbling block, but if he would have brought heaven with him, that would have not been a stumbling block. But 
Speaking of Jesus, our good shepherd coming to the earth, how much did Jesus put away and do without for the good of everyone? Whole lot. Thirdly, so live in humility, live in self sacrifice. Jesus in us to help us to live in awareness. That's where it gets dicey. I'm going to go for it. Rob said I could, so there you go. Okay, I looked up Spidey Sense because I don't know this stuff on the internet, and I got all sorts of hits. So the internet will tell you anything you want. So Spidey Sense is Spider-Man's little weapon that he knows where danger, the ability to sense danger, I shouldn't go off the radar like that, the ability to sense danger before it can be perceived by other senses. Do I think the Holy Spirit is some marvel attribute to a superhero? No, but there is an aspect of sensing danger before the rest of you catches up that the Holy Spirit is very, very good at. You see, the problem with our life is there's too much life in it. And it drowns out the people around us. It really does. We all operate in tunnel vision from time to time, do we not? Where we see the very thing that's in front of us. And that's all we can see for a period. But God has given us His Holy Spirit that we might sense the needs of others before the rest of us catches up. And this can make you look very scatterbrained, I would think. I often just dart around and and maybe it's not the spidey senses. But God may draw you into a conversation, a person, very spur of the moment. And you may not know exactly what is going on. But how helpful is it that Jesus has said, not only should you care for my people, but I'm going to empower you to do that, even in spite of the busyness of your life. But to do that, we need to be in tune with what the Spirit is saying. God wants to use us powerfully in the lives, in the church, in the world. He wants to use us powerfully. And He puts His Holy Spirit in us so that we can know things that the rest of life doesn't allow us to see. It makes us very missional to the needs of those around us. It can give us special knowledge to where a person is hurting. This is God's gift to us. It's His gift. So yeah, it's fun to talk about Spidey Sense, but the Holy Spirit's awesome. So To have Jesus in us is to live in service to the Father. Jesus, above all else, exemplified this in his ministry to live in constant service to his father he says himself in john 6 for i have come down from heaven not to do my own will but to do the will of him who sent me 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Here is the Son of God clothed in power, the very essence and manifestation of God himself, saying, I'm going to do nothing but what my Father tells me to do. Think of the effectiveness. The effectiveness when you take this mighty sense of the Holy Spirit with the constant state of I will do only what the Father tells me. How aware we can be to the needs of the people around us. Making sure that there's nothing we do that would keep others from the Lord by, our stump, by the stumbling blocks that our life can sometimes provide them. And lastly, and so important, Jesus in us allows us to live in love. And here's why love is so important when we seek to not give stumbling blocks or to keep stumbling blocks to the world. Is that to be on guard for stumbling blocks without love is a very dangerous and damaging place to be. Because without love, as we seek to worry about these stumbling blocks, we become stumbling police. And another name for a stumbling police is a Pharisee. That's what, love, that's what not operating in love will do. The common, a real common theme in conflict resolution is to always make sure that you're fighting the problem, not the people. Fighting the problem, not the people. So you have four people in the, in the conflict. You get all four people fighting the problem. Nobody feels attacked. Problem is solved. Relationships are intact. To operate in love, to be full of Christ's love as we walk with other believers and the world keeps us worrying about the problem and not fighting the people, which is what the Pharisees did so well. They burdened the people. They didn't help them with the problem. Close, I'm going to close like this. God is calling the strong among us to stand up and lead by example. To be mindful of the people around us that are struggling, that are hurting, whose faith isn't where ours is. And to be an example. Just going to finish with this story. Last year, I thought, what do I have the perfect body type for? I'm going to run a half marathon. That'll be good. Those short legs are just going to break records. I was laughing. This is a joke. Please laugh at me. Um, so I ran a half marathon. The problem was, it was, it had just rained, so it was humid like. It was crazy. And, and, and I crossed the finish line like this. And I know I'm almost there right now. 
But come on. I was white, I was delirious, and I was not walking very straight. I didn't hit the beer refreshment stage at mile seven either. But I was finished. I may or may not have stormed past my wife. I don't... Did I storm past you? Yeah, see, love of my life, I didn't even know. So I'm going right past her. I'm done. I'm in big trouble. Past the EMTs. And I'm really struggling here. Find a piece of grass. And then I get picked up. Picked up. And I have this... I have this 13-year-old shoulder to put my hand on. And he doesn't care that I'm delirious. And he doesn't care that I'm sweaty. And he doesn't care that I don't know where I'm going. He was committed to walking me all the way through the refreshment lines so I could build my strength back up. This is after he'd already run his race. I don't think William's in here, but it makes him look good, so I can say William. William was there for me. He walked me through my recovery. Even though he'd already ran his race and could have been recovering on his own. And this is what we're called to do. We're called to come along the side the people that really need that hand or that strength when they're wobbly. We're called to come alongside of them. Maybe our shoulder gets a little sweaty. Maybe it's a bit of a burden to bear. Maybe it's not ideal. Maybe we'd rather worry about our own stuff at the time. But Christ is calling us to all work and walk together and get to the finish line together. And He empowers us to care for others. He fills us with His Holy Spirit. The very good shepherd that showed us the way now empowers us to care for the church. But we need to be willing to step out, put some of our own things aside, and look to build up the faith of every believer. Right? Amen?